0: City life's power couple back there, (laughs) making jokes for us each and every week. So grateful. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Great to be with you this morning. Our lead pastor, Pastor Chris and Casey and the family is actually out of town today. Uh, Also, our associate pastor, Randy, and his families are out. So you get me. Come on, how are you doing, huh? Come on, huh? Great to be with you this morning. Um, that's not actually a response I was looking for at all. I thought we were going to get a couple of laughs out of it, but I'm grateful for your great response. Um, if you are joining us for the first time, or if you've been following us, we're actually going through the whole book of John, or the gospel according to John the apostle. It's really a great blessing. I want to begin by saying this to you, how blessing it is to be able to study a book together yeah? Uh, Usually we do a lot of topicals throughout the year, uh, but at least one time per year, we want to focus in one book. Uh, And the Pastor Chris and the pastoral staff and the elders, we talk about it quite a long time, how we eager, eager to study this book. And it's not easy. This book is a very, very deep theological book, Uh, but also it's and it's full of different stories, and, and, and there's just a revelation of who Jesus is. And so it's really exciting for me, at least you can tell by how excited I am this morning. Is because Gospel of John is such a unique book um, compared to other Gospels. If you have read the all four Gospels, you clearly tell Gospel of John is quite different, Yes. Uh, not because he was saying, well, you know, I'm just going to do something else, you know, that, that other gospel already written, but he has specific intent. He wanted to accomplish something that was dear to his heart, and it was written a lot later than the other gospels. A lot of scholars date this book from 80 to 90 AD, between that era, and so the majority of the gospel was written way before that, you know, so... Uh, All this makes sense. All this is important. Why? Because if you didn't know about none of this information, if you just go right through, you no problem. Uh, But for me personally, as you know, uh, one of the difficult things for me as a teacher is to, man, I have to give you as much information as possible. But that being said, standing up here before you as a teacher is a complicated task. Why? Because I am limited in time, and there is a clock that's ticking and staring me, uh, it's just a burden for me, that clock. I wish that didn't exist, but here we are. But that being said, though, it's really exciting to study the book together with you. Let me just mention one more thing, which is our daily devotional called The Starter. Uh, you can download this app. Uh, also, you can actually go to the website, which is clcstarter.com, where we actually attempt to cover every part of the gospel because Sunday we just simply cannot cover the whole chapter of the book so we have a contributors each week they these are our members they are outstanding members uh, some of them are here with us this morning Scott Filler is our finest uh, trial lawyer in Houston he is a real Texas hammer <laughs> not the guy trying to attempt you know just, uh, in, you know intimidate you with a big truck no No, 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 the real Texas Hammer. He's also a contributor. You actually find his writing tomorrow morning. So please follow us. Join us in studying this book together because the more we study this book together, you will find how amazing the Word of God is. And one of the missions for us is that we want, my personal, is that I want you to fall in love with God's Word. Because God's word is just a treasure trove of nuggets and the revelation and the life-changing principles. You don't need a self-help book. Come on. Where do you think the self-help book gets their information from? <laughs> come on, guys. Let's get this right, right? So please, fall in love with God's word. And if you need more information on how to study the Bible, come and talk to us. We'll gladly share with you how to read this Bible that's been given to us from God. Okay, that being said, I think that's a good introduction. Yes. Are you still excited this morning? Yes. Let's go to the scripture, open your Bible or your phone, your app. Okay. I'm actually, you know, every time I actually say up here, open your Bible, I'm actually looking for somebody that actually have an actual Bible. Bless your heart. You still exist. <laughs> yeah. So let's go to chapter four. Let's read the word of God together this morning, shall we? Verse one, therefore, when the Lord knew that Pharisee had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sichar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there, Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, thus said by the well, it was about sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is that you? Being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to her, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water spring up into everlasting life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews say that the Jerusalem, in Jerusalem is the place where one out to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come. See a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Or in this, though saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me, he told me all that I ever did. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believe because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said. For we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. This is the word of our Lord. Father, we come before you today to ask you to reveal yourself to us. In this brief moment in time reveal yourself to us that we may know you in jesus name amen the purpose of john let's begin with that right what is one of the main reason john decided to write perhaps there are many one of the things that we've been actually quite saying quite a lot is you know there are mission there are certain things that john want to communicate to his readers but for us John has already given us that reason, which is in John 20, verse 31. He says, But these are written, the whole gospel that was written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have a life in his name. One word that will appear over. And over and over in this gospel is this word believe. You either believe or not believe. But the goal or intent of the John is for you to believe. It's as simple as that. One thing that he wants to address, a couple of things, is divinity. Who Jesus is. Identity of Christ that he wants to reveal to you. And that's why he wrote this gospel now last week we pastor Chris actually talked about the interaction between the Nicodemus and Jesus and today we're studying the interaction between Jesus and Samaritans now if you put these two story together right next to each other you find something very interesting and I did all this homework for you. You don't even have to do anything. And here is what I have found Nicodemus and the woman at the well. Nicodemus is a Jew. Samaritan obviously is a Samaritan. Nicodemus is a man. Woman at the well is a woman. Nicodemus is an Orthodox Jew, high regarded some believe that he was part of a council called Sanhedrin, made up of leaders, different Jewish leaders that served as great council. Kind of like a Supreme Court of that day because they didn't have a king. So they actually conducted the Jewish law, how they conduct themselves between their enemies and themselves, the Jewish, the rebels, which is all sorts of kind of things. These are the people that actually made the decisions. So, Nicodemus was one of them. Now, the woman, I put sinner, but you'll find something very, very interesting at the end. Nicodemus is celebrated. He's well known. Matter of fact, I believe that he had a following. He's a rabbi. One of the the things that you see, rabbi, even today when you go to Israel, next time come with me is that you know that these rabbis, different rabbis, has a great following, especially if you are very high. If you're a chief priest, my goodness, thousands are following. They call them Talmidim, which means students. Disciples, we also get them the word disciples from this word Talmidim, which is the followers. And that's who Nicodemus is. That the woman at the well, oh, not so much. She was despised even in her own community, which we'll find in this story. The story is taking place, obviously, Nicodemus with Jerusalem and the woman at the well in Samaria, the place called Saqqar. The encounter of Jesus is very important. Jesus, more of a Nicodemus, comes to Jesus at night. And we talked a little bit about that, why he would have done it, because he is a Jewish leader. He did not want to be seen, even though he believed that there was something unique about Jesus. He comes in secret. In a sense, he didn't want to be seen, right? So he comes at night. Now, story of a Samaritan woman is happening at noon. In a wide just broad daylight where everybody can be seen? who initiate the conversation. We know that Nicodemus is the one who actually opens the word, you are great. Giving the pat on the back in a sense to Jesus. You're a great rabbi, you do all these signs, you're a wonderful man. Where in the story of Samaritan, is Jesus who initiate the conversation with this woman, which is controversial itself. One of the important things, in the story of Nicodemus, is one three words. It says he cannot see. Remember that word, he cannot see. Where the woman, he says, if you knew. There is a great contrast between the two. Where but the one of the story ends without ending. What I mean by that is a Nicodemus. Story ends with sayings of Jesus, and it's done. We do not know what happened to Nicodemus until end of the gospel, which you actually have to wait until next year. (laughs) Sorry. Or you can read it for yourself, okay? But the story of Samaritan woman, there is an end. The woman will actually come to know Jesus and recognize him as more than Lord, more than a prophet, recognize him as a Messiah. But it's not only that, the story ends. The story ends with this great rejoice of the whole city, the men of the city, many of the city comes to faith. You see the difference? There's a contrast there. And if we don't look for it, Eh, we'll miss it. One other question that I want to address before we move on is why would Jesus reveal himself openly to one, but disguise or hide himself in a sense in the parables and different things to limit his identity? Have you ever thought of that? You wonder about those kind of things. You do. If you don't, here it is. I'm thinking for you. The one other reason that Jesus would not reveal openly to the Jewish people is there is a specific phrase and, and, and the prophecy that, that, that Jesus actually quotes over and over and over. And it's in the book of Isaiah. And so much so that even the apostles and, 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 and all the gospel writers mention. Or quote this book of Isaiah in John twelve thirty seven to forty one. Hear what John wrote. But although he had done so many signs before them, them being the Jewish people, they did not believe in him. That the words of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord has been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. I wouldn't call it curse, but man, that is tough. Jesus shares a parable in such a way that they will not understand. But the opposite is also true. The right to understand, the privilege of knowing God has also been given. In parable of sower, we see it. Disciples come and Jesus shared this wonderful parable of a sower. And the disciples come like, "Why? Come on, Jesus, why are you saying in parables? Tell us plainly." That's why I think how they said it. I don't think it was like very philosophical, like a lot of people believe that Jesus was speaking. He's not walking around. oh, that's Charles said. No, I don't think so. He's practical. And the disciples are like, "Why? Why don't you just say plainly?" But here's the word. Jesus said to them, in Matthew 13:11, "Because it has been given to you." to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled again, quoting of Isaiah, just like John did. So you see something is happening here. It is privilege for the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is not something that you should take it lightly. Please understand what that means. You sitting in here, if you're a Christian this morning, God has revealed himself to you. And it is not something that you deserved. It is not something that you earned it. It's been given to you. Think about the thousands and tens of thousands and millions of people that this revelation has not been given. Think about that for a second. And for me as a person, personally coming to know the Lord was a miracle itself. Many of you know my story. I was a former Buddhist. But God was gracious with me to reveal his son in me when I did not deserve it. That's why it is special to me. That's why I don't take it lightly. I pray that you don't take it lightly either. The revelation of Jesus Christ is very, very dear, and you should be too. Okay, that being said, let's go to the text, okay? I have 13 minutes, according to this clock. That's my introduction, good? Let's go to verse 4. But he needed to go to, through Samaria. What do you mean he needed to go? You probably wonder about that. If you didn't, I wonder for you. Because <laughs> it's interesting. Why would John put that there? Like some words, and sometimes I read the Bible, I think about, well, well he didn't have to put that. But I believe there is intention. There is a thing that writer wants you to understand. Which for me is very clear. Jesus was in the mission. He had a mission from God, the Father. And we hear that all the time from Christ. He says, I do not do anything unless Father tells me And we see that clearly, that when he had to go to Samaria, it's definitely a mission, believe me. Because the Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They were fierce enemies. Okay? They were fierce enemies. Matter of fact, if you study the history, Samaritans derived from, actually, from all the way from the second kings, where a Syrian army will conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. And they'll come and they'll bring their own gods and they bring their own people. And what happened was they intermingled And they call, the Jewish people call them a mixed race. You are not really a Jew anymore because you have agreed with this foreign God. You have married into this foreign God. So you are not really a Jewish. That's one reason. Second, in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the temple, in the time of Ezra, Samaritans actually wanted to help. Jewish people, Ezra said, no, we don't need your help. Nehemiah, now, at this point, when Nehemiah came to build the wall, things got really, really ugly. If If you study the Nehemiah, it's very clear that they, the Samaritans, along with others, tried to sabotage the process. And so the hate that is building up in this story It's all there. And the final moment was, they actually had their own little temple in Samaria. They say, no, you know, we we are the chosen ones. You you Jews, you're not really your chosen ones anymore. We are. So we're gonna build our own temple. We're gonna do our own things. But what happened in the 100 AD, around 100 AD, the Jewish people, the zealots, came and said, ah, you're doing this abomination to god he came and destroyed the place pass forward to the time of jesus about 100 years later think about the tensions. think about the hate that is there even that time and so for jesus to actually go to samaria was a special task it was not something that he would just say well i got i'm, I'm just going to samaria because I, I just want to go to that where, you know that way It was not that at all. Matter of fact, even the terrain that you actually go is much harder for you to go from Jerusalem to Galilee. If you look at the map behind me, you will see where Jerusalem and Saqqar is located. And I know you cannot see the letters, so I marked it for you in blue. The blue is Jerusalem. Okay? Jerusalem is located on the mountain area. And also the Sakhar or Samaria, which is marked in red. You see where it is. Now, it is mountain. So I actually went there before. So I know what the terrain looked like. It is up and down and up and down and side to side. I mean, it is tough terrain for you to go. It's not easy. So what did Jewish people do? Not only they didn't like the route, they say, you know what? We're just going to go all the way around the easy way, which is go down from Jerusalem, to the Jordan rift. You see the rift, you see the yellow, the rift, and they'll go straight that way, which is a little bit more flat than going through the mountains, okay? Makes sense. Clearly makes sense. Now, we know that Jesus arrived to the Samaria or Saqqar at noon. We know it because it says he arrived at sixth hour. If you did not know what sixth hour meant, in the Bible, it's noon, it's 12 o'clock afternoon, okay? The day begins at six in the morning. That will be the day. The first hour will be seven o'clock. Second hour will be, third hour will be, yes, exactly. So 12 o'clock, Jesus arrives. But now we know this, the terrain is super hard from Jerusalem to Saqqar. It will take you hours. Matter of fact, I did this, some, something funny yesterday i got on the line i went to google map in a google map you can actually do the walking he said it takes 13 hours 13 hours for you to walk that far but now we thinking that walking in our pace in the biblical time you have to understand they don't stroll like us i mean they're in a mission they're going Okay, it's not like they're having a good time, like, okay, well, we should talk about different spiritual things as we go, and let's talk about this flower as we go. No, 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 they're on the move, they're on the mission, they're in the mission to go to the city. So I believe he left early in the morning, wherever he started the journey from, probably outside of Jerusalem, because he did not actually stay in Jerusalem, we know that he stayed regularly with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so if he began that journey there, he would probably be trucking. He could have probably arrived, be left super early, and get there by noon. No wonder he was worried. No wonder he was trucking all morning. And so he sat, thus, by the well, the timing of his arrival, he had to arrive there at noon. Think about that for a second. If he arrived 30 minutes late, the woman would be gone. This story doesn't exist. But because it was his mission, he was doing the very thing that a father has told him to do, he's on the go. I have to get there. I can only imagine the disciples, why are you in a hurry, Jesus? (laughs) Why are you walking so fast? I'm young, but I'm younger than you, but I'm still, you know, it's a tough ride. Can we get a donkey or... But he arrives at six hours, and so he sits. And while the disciples, we know that they go into the city. And the interaction goes, Jesus, see the woman coming with a jar and ask a simple ask, which we all, as a human being, if we are parched, we need water. We say, give me a water. That's one thing that we ask. And the woman's response is not so friendly. You have to hear the music, meaning the tone this woman said. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? You probably wonder that Jesus when he said it, woman probably took it as a completely different. He is probably just initiating conversation, but the woman took it as this: "Hey, hey, girl. This is just my take. Don't, don't. Hey, do not you give me some of that water you got there? You know those dudes? They try to holler at you. You know who they are. Come on. All the women knows. The guys like, what are talking about?" women know exactly what I'm talking about yeah and then you know what you usually say get away from me what's wrong with you right that's what the woman do right that's exactly what's happening here He says hi what are you doing what are you asking me you shouldn't be associating with me I don't even want to talk to you he she came there at noon that means she's trying to avoid everybody usually the water is getting in the morning the first thing in the morning why she come there at noon because she missed the mark? No, no, no. She knew exactly why she's there at two because she knew there was nobody there. She knew there would be nobody there. So she said, you know, I'm going to go there at noon. And then she comes and she sees a man and ah. Like, and this is a woman we have to understand did not have a good experience with men. One disappointment after the other. Some scholars said she was a sexual sinner. I'm not sure. It doesn't say. But one thing I do know for sure is that that woman had the relationship that was end up in a disappointment. Over and over and over and over. And now one that she has, Jesus pointed out. How does Jesus respond? Does Jesus respond with, what's the matter with you? Don't you know who I am? I'm the son of God. No, no, no. She says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you a living water. The gift of God. What is the gift of God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This theme will play right into this story. Perfectly. Matter of fact, it is line to line. Gift of God. What is Jesus doing here? She, he is revealing himself to her. Unbelievable. You think about, about the Nicodemus. He's hiding everything. But to this woman, she's saying no, no, no. Gift of God. Living water. And what is the living water, you might ask? His living water represents the purification. Living water represents, in the Jewish ritual, it is purification, cleansing, restore as a whole, make you holy and pure once again. This is what the living water do. And Jesus comes and says, If you knew the gift of God, I'm going to give you this living water. And what does Roman's response not I want it but it's more of sir but it's funny though the tone change he became from just a mere man to somebody else she knew something was different about this man when Jesus spoke she knew there was something different and so she responds physical well it's too deep you can't get anything out of it how you gonna do a 100 feet deep well Come on, you don't have that ability. And she continues, Are you greater than our father Jacob? Verse 12. Is what she's really saying is, You are not greater than my father Jacob. She's looking for the answer, no, you're not. Aha. But Jesus answered back. He never, he never gives up on this woman. Whoever drinks of the water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water, I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become of him, in him a fountain of water, spring up into everlasting life. Where do we see this everlasting life? I just quoted John three sixteen. Coincidence? Never. John's intent? Yes, absolutely. He is revealing something so amazing, so beautiful, the if you and I doesn't look for it, we'll completely miss it. Eternal life that's in Jesus. So here is what identity of Jesus. This is just what we read so far. Number one, Jesus is the living water. Second, Jesus is the only source of the living water. Three, Jesus is the only one who gives give this water. Number four, Jesus, the living water, will become a fountain of water for those who receive it. And finally, Jesus is the only one who can grant eternal life. The story, I still have so much to share with you. I just don't have time. But the story ends, we know that she come to believe. We know that she believe. So much so she'll bring others to come to faith. But I tell you, she is the first evangelist in the Bible. Aha, it was not men, it was a woman. It's very powerful. She brought men to Christ. And if that is true, how about you? If you have tasted this water, this life changing, amazing, purifying, making you whole, holy, righteous water that leads to eternal life How about you? Do you keep it to yourself? Or do you give it unto others as this woman did? And I think that's the lesson here. That God wants to reveal himself to the world. He cannot do it on his own. He has chosen people like you and I to bring good news to the world. If we do not take that mission you see Jesus was on the mission yes or no how much more we are on the mission to talk to our co-workers talk to our teammates our classmates our friends our family that don't know Jesus and say you have to see and it's all there so now we don't have a physical Jesus we have something greater we have Holy Spirit now we have a church we represent Christ here on earth, many Bible translations title this story as Woman of Samaria or a Samaritan woman meets her Messiah. But I believe it is much more than she meets Messiah. She believed. It is much more than she met her Messiah, her life was forever changed. It is much more than she met her Messiah. The salvation has come. It is much more than she met her Messiah. Her faith has impacted the lives of many. It is much more than she met her Messiah. Many others came to faith in Christ. I'd like to ask our worship team to come. We'll end with our worship. But here are a few thoughts for you before we finish. Revelation of Jesus Christ, who is Jesus to you? Number two, if Jesus is Messiah, what's your response? And three, what is your well? What I mean by that is the things of this world that promised you, but delivered so little, and you keep going there to draw water for your thirst again. And finally, what's your holdup? What's the five husbands or the sins that is keeping you away from Christ? And one of the things that Jesus says to the woman is this, the time is coming. Time will come twice. Twice. It's a future. He's talking about something that's gonna happen in the future. The time is coming. Time is coming. But Jesus doesn't end there. You know how he ended? He says, now is. Those two words are so important. It excites me so much that that moment, the time is coming. You see, for thousands of years, for the prophets, they're all pointing at this one day. One day, this day will come. One day, will Messiah will come. And Jesus, talking to this woman, says, now. Here I am. And what he asked is something very simple for us. True worship. When we encounter Christ, when, we, when the God of heaven reveals himself to us, our posture, only thing that we can do is worship. There is nothing that we can do. He delights in your worship.